I love that song, There's Joy in the House of the Lord. I love that song. I love it. I was in the back with uh, Brother David. And by the way, yeah, the pie in the pastor's face, we're going to have about five pastors up there. It ain't going to be just me. I'm recruiting pastors. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know you were pastors. I'm not. Pastor told me to come up here. Bang, you know. That's what's going on. <laughs> Pastor David, nice to see you. Hey, wave your hand in the air. Yes. <laughs> oh, we better get paid. Y'all going to throw a pie in my face? We better get paid. You know, I'm kidding. I'm totally joking. No, no compulsion. We don't want you to give under compulsion. And that's what that sounded like. And it's not that at all. Um, um, where was I? Prayer. Yes. Um, I had something else I was going to say, but Father, we just, um, we look to you this morning. Uh, we are glad to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, hey, Lord, we're glad to be the house of the Lord in the New Testament dimension that the house isn't a place. It's a people that you have called to be your own. Ooh, we're excited about that, Lord. And, and we, we live in the dimension of that joy, even in the midst of some rough and tough and hard times, oh God. So, Father, we just pray that as we embark on this journey, on this story of the book of Ruth, that you would uh, speak to us, show us some things we didn't know, and um, uh, uh, cause these words to, your words to cause us to live uh, the way that you would have us to live. Uh, Father, we, we give you all the praise and all the honor in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Uh, if you're comfortable, give someone a high five, family members, point at them, whatever it is. And um, Pastor Richard Ferris is in Dallas, actually probably in flight right now. Uh, he, was, uh, he was all excited. See, there you go. Okay, now we didn't open up the love box and now we can't shut her down. I know, I know, yeah. Pastor Richard Ferris is, uh, I think he's in flight. Uh, from Dallas. He was, he was wanting to be here this morning and, um, and share with us a little bit about, uh, about um, um, uh, Haiti. And so he, uh, he got delayed in Dallas. And I'm like, oh, well, hey, brother, enjoy your night there, whatever. And uh, so he'll be here next week and he'll give us the 411 on his three weeks in Haiti. And uh, I'll let him tell you about what God did. Uh, it is, it is, it's remarkable. Uh, our message this morning is call me Mara, or if you're Spanish, call me Yamame Mara, Mara. We're in Ruth chapter one, and it is amazing that this little book is tucked in the pages of the time of the judges. So when you think of the book of Judges, which we just finished, it's more than just the book itself. There's a, it's, a, it's a time of the judges. Ruth is somewhere in that mix. In Psalm chapter 31, verse 14, it says, But as for me, I trust in you. O Lord, I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Alistair Begg, Pastor Alistair Begg, said, One of the distinguishing marks of the Christian is found in the way they view the passing of time and the ordering of events in life. To think Christianly is to have a radical shift in the way in which we view these issues. And to be able to affirm, my times, O God, are in your hands, is a Christian thing to do. Psalm 31, 14 reveals something. King David was, was on the run from his enemies, and he's, and he's praying to God about dealing with his enemies that he is not able to deal with. And then he makes this amazing statement, my times, my seasons, my, my, my life, God, is in your hands. Um, that says a lot, and that's going to be the foundation for our study through the book of Ruth. Uh, it tells us one thing, and this is something that Alistair Baker, I just happened to be listening to him, uh, uh, a, pro, a profound speaker uh, and pastor, and, and I, I happened to be listening to him one morning in the car, and I went, oh, that's so good. Uh, he said this, first and foremost, it tells us that I am not trapped in the grip of blind forces. I'm not trapped in the grip of blind 
forces. Uh, Paul, the apostle in the book of Acts, was, was uh, ushered into a philosophical deba- a debate on a place called Mars Hill in Athens. That, that the, the prevalent view of that day was, was something that we would see codified much later by a man named Zeno in the 4th century. And basically the belief system among many things was that everything... Uh, or events of the world are determined by a merciless, cold, and impersonal fate. So instead of trying to struggle with that and struggle with circumstances to change them, simply accept them in a spirit of resignation. And you know what? Whatever's going to happen, and maybe you've heard someone say this, hey man, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. What exactly does that mean? Uh, you know, case sena, sena, you know, whatever will be, will be. There's no use resisting. There's no use fighting. It's sort of a, in, even in Christ, it can be a sort of a Christian fatalism that says, oh, you know what? It doesn't do any good to do all that because God's going to do what God's going to do. So why worry and why bother? Oh, that's so wrong. That's not how we live our lives. Uh, the Epicureans that Paul dealt with were the practical materialists. They believed that if there even was a God, that he was completely uninvolved in the human affairs of people. Now, we, 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 you may have heard someone who says, well, I, I believe that there's something up there, uh, some sort of God, but he's not involved in our lives at all. The Stoics were the pantheists that believed God was in everything, <clears throat> and that God was the soul of the universe. And, and so often uh, they believed in, in the personification of nature. Oh, you know that term. Oh, there's a, there's a tornado in Florida. Oh, the wrath of Mother Nature. Exactly who is Mother Nature? Oh, it is the per- personification of, of uh, 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 one who is in control of uh, the events that take place with the weather. Mm, sounds familiar if you've been with us through Joshua and Je- Sounds familiar. Hey, some sort of God who's in charge of weather. We'll get to that in just a moment. Mother Nature. Basically, it's an expression that there are forces over which we just have no control. You know, acts of God in a contract really don't mean anything because people who, uh, it's sort of a a catch-all phrase, you know, this or that or the other or acts of God. Oh, you believe in God? No, but we got to put that in there to cover just in case. Oh, that's an act of God. You don't even believe in God. Anyway, um, Using general relativity, Stephen Hawking in, uh, contributed more to understanding black holes and the naturalistic Big Bang model than any other astrophysicist. And regarding the afterlife, he said in 2011, uh, in an interview with the Guardian newspaper slash magazine, he said, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. Remember that phrase, people afraid of the dark. Uh, He goes on and says, we are each free to believe what we want. And it's my view that the simplest explanation is that there is no God. No one created the universe and no one directs our fate. This leads me to a profound realization that there probably is no heaven or or afterlife, nor afterlife either. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design. That's an interesting term for someone who doesn't believe in God. Because it almost sounds like that's intelligence. Anyway, it's an interesting term. Uh, By the way, he he has, Stephen Hawking has died and... We pray that he had some revelation of Jesus Christ before he passed away. We have this one life to appreciate the grand design of the universe, and for that I am extremely grateful. Theologian David Wells, commenting on this kind of thinking, said this, Contemporary spiritualities take many different forms, Hinduism, Buddhism, New Age, Kabbalah, radical environmentalism is a god. Oh, I'm all for saving the planet. Trust me. I recycle. 
fervently. I also know that at some point the earth's going to be torched and there'll be a new heavens and the new earth, but that's for discussion in our funeral today. All these self-made spiritualities have in common a view of reality that is pantheistic. All of them assume in one way or another that nature encloses and contains the sacred. It is not too difficult to see how people begin to worship at the idol of nature. On the one hand, we must save the whales. And I'm for that too. But how can you want to save the whales and be pro-choice and believe, which is deeper than pro being pro-choice, the belief that it's okay to save the whales, abortion's okay. That, I don't understand that. But if you worship nature and animals and the stars and the sky, if you, then, then that's, that's, that makes sense in your worldview, I guess. In the movie Avatar, the assumption was that we make contact with God by finding Him within ourselves. Because essentially, quote, we are God. The Christian worldview rejects those alternate worldviews. We say, my times are in your hands, O God. And we are not held in the grip of blind forces that we really cannot define. We're in the book of Ruth. If you want to move there in your smartphone or in your Bible, there are two books in the Bible in the New Testament named after women. Interesting, one is Ruth, the other is Esther. Ruth means friendship or companion. Uh, It could mean compassionate friendship. The only book in the Bible that is named after one of the ancestors of Jesus. That's exciting. We'll get to that. You guys already probably know that. Uh, It's the only book in the Old Testament named after a non-Jewish person because Ruth was a Moabitess. And there are many, many great themes in this book, and we'll unpack some of them over the next couple of weeks. Augustine said this regarding the, the... what does confluence mean? What does that mean? Anybody know that? The definition of confluence? I'm sorry, sir. The engineer is, has, has an answer. Yes, sir. Thank you. I knew that was the right word, but I wasn't sure. So I appreciate you participating. Give him his prize afterwards as he walks out. Would you give him a, give him a visitor bag, a cup or something? But the confluence, <laughs> I'll sound all smart next service. They won't know that I had to ask you guys. Uh, and that doesn't make you sound smart if you just know a word, okay? Uh, but, but, but the confluence of the Old Testament and the New Testament, Augustine said, the new is in the old contained and the old is in the new explained. The old has types and shadows, previews, if you would, prophecies that are fulfilled in the New Testament, some of which aren't all fulfilled yet. For example, in the book of Ruth, we have a man from Bethlehem who redeems a Gentile bride and brings that Gentile bride to himself. Oh, that sounds like Jesus, our husbandman. Jesus, who is the husband to the church, who, who has reached out and pursued a Gentile bride, Jews as well, whosoever believes, and brought them to himself that they may be with him. In my Father's house, John 14, are many dwelling places. I go there to prepare a place for you so that where I am you may be also. But again, that's for the funeral. I keep getting ahead of myself. Ruth is a book about redemption. Redemption. We'll define that term over the next couple of weeks. It is a book about the sovereignty of God and His providence. His activity in the lives of His people. They say when it comes to real estate, the three most important words are 
location, location, and location. You could probably add some words to that, like interest rates. <laughs> That's an important word. Uh, price, yes. Uh, market runs, as our market is like. Uh, I'd like to add a word to that. Timing. Timing. Because the book of Ruth is a book about timing. Also, it's a book about choices. And so as we read through this tiny book, look at the timing of events that take place. Watch the sovereignty of God, uh, the providence of God, bring supernatural things together and watch the choices that people make that are in confluence with the providence of God. It's amazing. It's amazing. I have this saying that I say, you know what, there's a thousand things that had to happen for that to happen. I say that all the time, especially when I meet someone that I haven't seen in a long time. Like my friend, when I, I've shared this story with you, that I, there's a friend of mine who, uh, 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 who comes to Las Vegas for the NBA Summer League. I'll spare you the details of why he comes, but I shared Christ with him. And, you know, he was like, yeah, man, yeah. And then I brought up Jesus. He was like, okay, yo, well, good to see you. And then I was like, oh, okay, that was kind of quick, you know, being that I've known you for 40 years, but that's okay. And uh, so we have these conversations at the Summer League, NBA Summer League, because he's here every, every year. And uh, so we're vacationing in Hawaii years ago. And of course, if you vacation in Hawaii on Saturday, you got to go to Aloha Stadium to the swap meet is the ultimate swap meet, right? And so we go there and uh, we got a flight to catch, but we're kind of caught up in it. And I go get the car and I move the car a little bit closer so we can try to buy some time because we don't want to miss our flight. <laughs> How many of you know it's a, it's a good thing to miss your flight when you're in Hawaii? No? You agree? Okay. So anyway, I, I park the car and I get out and I'm looking to find my wife. And who do I see coming? I see my friend. Oh, uh, I see him coming. He's walking right to me. He doesn't see me, but I see him. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so good. And I call out his name and he sees me. He goes, oh, no way. I go, way, bro. I said, can you believe it? What possible reason could God have for me to run into you at Aloha Stadium on Swap Meet Day with thousands of people walking? Well, and he said, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was awesome. That's providence. Come on. That's providence. That's I mean, like, if you don't believe in God or you're seeking God, you've got to walk away from that and go, okay, you know what? What are the odds? What are the odds of that? How many thousands of things had to happen for that to happen? Well, that's providence. Oh, no such thing as coincidence in the kingdom of God. It's all perfectly planned and calculated. What a coincidence. No, 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 no. Here we go. Did I mention we're starting a series in the book of Ruth? That's my introduction. Ah. Colossians chapter 4 verse 5 says, Behave yourselves wisely, living prudently and with discretion in your relations with those out of the outside world, the non-Christians, making the most of the time and seizing or buying up the opportunity. We've shared many times before the two, essentially two Greek words for time, in a very broad sense, one is chronos, which is an express, expression of a duration of time. If this is the, the New Testament, so this is the chronos of the judges. It's the time, season of the judges. And then there's kairos, which, which uh, is marked by certain features or specific things within that time. So we're, we're studying uh, the chronos of uh, uh, of the judges, but we're going to talk about the kairos moments in the book of Judges where God shows up and God does something that's a moment where you go, okay, that's God. And you've experienced that in your life where you were, something happened, maybe it seemed random, God interrupted you, God turned you, God did this, God did that, and you walked away and you know that was a God moment. You know, you know what, I shouldn't even be standing here right now, but, but it was a kairos moment. I had every intention to go right and I went left. And then if I would have went right, I might have died. But you know God did. God spared you. That's a Kairos moment. And God still does those things to show us that he is a providential, sovereign God and to draw us near to him. Acts chapter 1 verse 7 says the Father has set within his own authority both the times, 
chronos, and lengths of periods and the seasons, the kairos, or the epochs, characterized by certain events. So, we're to make the most of every season, every time, every, every moment of life, those that God has ordained that are opportunities by specific events. And I'm telling you that if you are alive and you can hear and see and breathe and, and, and the Word of God is going forth, it's a kairos moment. Don't neglect the Word of God that you hear today. Don't walk away and let it just go one in one ear and out the other. See if God hasn't made an appointment with you today through His Word. Because God does that. Keep your eyes open for his timings. Don't miss them. Let's meet the cast. Elimelech. Elimelech is the father. His name is God is my king. We will see he's not always live like God is his king, but we're not throwing stones. He's a Hebrew from Bethlehem. We'll meet Naomi, his wife, whose wife, whose name means pleasant or my joy. We'll, we'll meet Malon and Chilion. And, and they had nicknames. You won't see this in the scripture. Malon didn't have a, a, a nickname, but Chilion, his nickname was Chili Baby. And it was his nickname. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I, oops, see that. That's not here. His close friends called him Chili Dog, but that's all right. Those are the sons. We'll meet Ophrah, who was a, a, Mo, a Moabitess, who was mar- married to Chili Baby. And then we'll meet Ruth whose name means friendship, who is married to Malon. Moab is the nation or the people that oppressed Israel during the time of the judges. Okay, that's the backdrop. So, again, divine control of crops was a major factor in the developments of this book. Why? Because during the time of the judges, the people worshipped the Canaanite Canaanite god of Baal. Baal was a, a common uh, 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 idol that Israel bowed down to. Judges 2, Judges 3, Judges 8, Judges 10. Um, Baal was believed to have the power and authority over fertility, but in particular also over crops. And so if it wasn't raining, which in an agrarian society, you must have rain because you haven't developed, you know, you, then have plumbing. You must have rain And if you don't have rain, you don't have crops. And so the Canaanites made up a god called Baal, Baal, and his girlfriend, Ashtaroth, uh, the goddess of fertility. One was to, to, to make sure they had good crops, and then together it was good crops and good families or lots of babies. And that's why sometimes they would throw their children into the fire, the ultimate sacrifice, sacrificing sons and daughters on behalf of Baal so they would have rain. It says this, now it came to pass, okay, that's a, chron- that's a, that's a, a, a kairos moment, it came to pass, in the days of the judges, that's our timeline, uh, um, uh, when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons, the name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and his two, song, his two sons, Malon and Chili Baby. Uh, <laughs> now see, some of y'all are going to go to church on Monday, and they're going to ask you, what did the pastor talk about? He talked about Chili Baby. Who's that? Anyway, don't. Mm-mm. These are Ephorites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Ruth is an important key in the understanding of the book of Judges. Here's why. Remember, they were dark days. And one of the key scriptures, if not these key scriptures in Judges, is in chapter 21, verse 25. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Well, God is about to bring a king to Israel. We'll get to that. Well, I don't know if we will or not, but we'll go through the season of the Judges, which goes into the book of Samuel before the first king, Saul. That's the season of the judges. Well, God's about to bring a king for his people, but he's going to bring him in a way they would have never imagined. And this is the start of that process. Because God's working in advance, behind the scenes, to accomplish his purposes so that at the right time, his desire will happen and he will get all the glory. 
Let me say it again. God was working in advance behind the scenes to accomplish his purposes so that in the right time, his desire will happen and he gets all the glory. There's a famine in the land. Oh, Mother Nature is angry at us. No, God who controls the weather is angry at you. Because there's a covenant relationship, Israel, that you have made with him. And he promised you. You know the, 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 the precepts of the covenant. You know that as long as you walk in obedience and as long as you follow him and you don't worship idols, that he will provide the God of all the universe, the God of the heavens, will provide rain for his people. He always does. Israel was in a unique covenant with him that was conditional. You worship me, you follow me, you obey my commands, and I will see to it that you get rain. And so they don't do that. What does God do? Shuts off the rain. You can can worship Baal all you want to. You can try to plant seeds in the clouds. You can try to do something amazing. You you can do whatever you want to do. But if God says it ain't going to rain, it's going to be dry. You're going to look like Lake Mead. Is God still in control of the weather? God is sovereign. He's in control over all things. There's a famine in the land. It's the famine for the word of God. This family to leave the land that was the promised land was a departure and depart from the boundaries of, the, of Israel and turn toward the wilderness from which God had delivered them hundreds of years before was not, they're headed in the wrong direction. Elimelech wants to provide for his family. Uh, You can't blame the man for that. But somewhere in his decision making, he loses track of who's in charge of providing for his family. This is hard for us men because we think we got to do it. And we do have to do it. But God is our provider. And he says, let's go down to the Moabites and see what we can scrounge up there. It's a 50-mile journey through the wilderness. I wrote this down. Be Be careful where you go when there's a famine in the land or when there's a famine in your heart. Be careful where you go when there's a famine in your heart. Elimelech believed that change was the answer, but it turns out that the God of Israel is also the God of the Moabites. Not that they worship him, but he's sovereign over both. And if it's not raining in Israel, oh, it sure ain't raining in the Moabites' land. Maybe he thought a change of scenery. Sometimes we think we can move away from our problems but find that our problems just go with us. Why? Because wherever you go, you bring you with you. I just need a change of scenery. I think it's deeper than that. I think you're going to find when you get there, you're going to have the same problems. In fact, it might be worse because you're going to spend a lot of money to get there. And guess what? Your biggest problem is you're going to take you with you. (laughs) I've been there. How about you? Oh, I hate that. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the woman of Moab. Oh, not good. The name of one was Ophrah, or Orpha. The name of the other was Ruth, and they dwelt there ten years. Everybody say ten years. Mm. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. It was not okay for them to marry Moabite women. Listen, it was not okay. They were to marry people within their own people group who were in covenant relationship with God. We've gone over this. God's not prejudiced. But like-minded spirits is more important than compatibility and looks. Because at the end of the day, it is the spirit that links together two people under the worldview, under the biblical precepts of marriage. (sighs) Elimelech, Malon, and Chilion die. I feel 
so bad for Naomi. She's lost everything, everything. Because to be childless and a widow was to be among the lowest, most disadvantaged people in the ancient world. There's no support system. There's no house to bring them in. There's no welfare state, even though there was supposed to be a provision for that in the law, like they were not supposed to glean the outside of the field. That was like, listen, we will provide food for you, but you got to work for it. You got to come get it. God made a provision for the poor, but when there's a famine, it's a double whammy because there is no crops. It's a sad situation. It's a desperate situation. Verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore, she went out from the place where she was uh, with her two daughters-in-law, and they went uh, on the way to return to the land of Judah. Oh, I love this. She heard in Moab, hey, hey, aren't you, aren't you Jewish? Yeah, check it out. I don't know if it's true or not. I was checking my uh, uh, push notifications from the local news. They tell me God's visiting the people in Israel. I'm just saying, you're, you're Jewish you, Israel, you might want to head back. That's all I'm saying. But she hears, she's in Moab, and she hears God's visited his people. What does that mean? That means there's rain. God's turning things. We don't know anything about what's happened in Israel. We've read through Judges. We know they had some serious times of, of walking away from God. Maybe they've repented. Maybe they've, maybe they've, 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 they've humbled themselves, and God has said, I got you. Watch it rain. She hears about it. And she wants to go back. And at least in this point in the story, her daughters-in-law want to go with her. Verse 8, Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you uh, as you have dealt with the dead and me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. So she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and wept. Oh, we'll never see you again. It's been 10 years. Thank you. I got to go back to my people. I don't expect you to come back. You know, you guys are, you guys are minorities. I mean, you, you, you're, you're maybe dark-skinned. Uh, you're going you're gonna to come with me. And it won't, this, no, it's not even worth it. I'm not asking. I would, not, I would never ask you to leave everything you know and everything you, and to leave your own family. I would never ask you to leave that to come home with me. So just stay here. Just stay. Oh, and they lifted up their voices and they wept. So she kissed, she kissed them. They wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. Verse 14, they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her, 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 uh, Oprah, Oprah, kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return with your sister-in-law. Okay, listen, I'm, I can't promise you anything. I don't even know that there's, that there's food in Israel. It's a 50-mile journey. It ain't going to be easy, girl. Just, just stay home. Just stay home. Oh, you know the song. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. I have a question. How did this happen? She's a young lady. We don't know how old she is. What happened in her life that she was willing to leave everything? Everything everything you talk about everything i've only seen it once in my life i don't know how long ago it was maybe maybe 18 years ago when we went to mccarran airport and we picked up some lost boys from sudan sweatshirt blue jeans converse probably fake converse tennis shoes and a bag They left everything. 
to come to Las Vegas. <laughs> they saw an opportunity. They didn't know everything about Las Vegas. And it was funny conversations we'd have. One of them said, Abuna, our skin is very dry with white around the elbows. I said, that's called ash. And you need some lotion. Lotion, what is this? Uh, oil. Oil? Not cooking oil. No, don't put Crisco on your body, but you got ash. It happens. Because we have hard water. Hard water, what does this mean? Oh, it was fantastic. It's amazing. It's amazing. Because they saw opportunity. Because in their mind, anything's better than Kakuma refugee camp with a bowl of rice a day, if that. You talking about a promised land? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Uh, I learned so much from those guys. Still do. You guys, some of you guys were a part of that. You remember. It was easily one of the greatest things we did as a church. We adopted 12 lost boys. You know the hardest part was? Among many, many hard things, well, I won't say it was the hardest part, trying to convince them not to trust everybody. I mean, yo, yo, check it out. You at Twain and Swenson, bruh, listen, you cannot trust people. What? Just because y'all stand together and somebody comes up and says they want to help you don't mean they want to help you. What? <laughs> it ain't like that here, bruh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. This man wants to, wants to help us. No, he don't. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you understand. <laughs> what? They cannot be trusted? No, you trust me. Nobody else. Nobody. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, Entreat me not to leave you, Ruth said, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, say it. And wherever you lodge, your people shall. Ooh, Westerners, you don't understand the depths of that. Oh, you think you do. You don't understand. You don't understand. You don't understand in a culture where family is everything. She said, your people who I only know four of you and three of them are gone. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me, parts you and me. This was more than just a change of address. There's some, this is a kairos moment. This is not about bread in Israel, whether it's there, whether it's not there. Somehow, this Moabite woman saw something in Ruth or believed something about her God. And she's willing to go all in She's willing to forsake the God she grew up with. She's willing to forsake her own family, which we know nothing about. What's she deciding? She's deciding to follow the Lord. This Gentile woman, once far from God, is drawn near to Him. Oh, I pray that my life, that I would live my life in such a way that those who are not followers of Christ would want to know more about Jesus whom I serve. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, and when you speak as, uh, when, that when they speak as evildoers, they may, by your good works, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. 
Naomi's faith somehow had an effect on Ruth. And even though Naomi wasn't perfect, even though she had a hard, hard life, her husband, her both of her boys, she experienced famine, she's a minority living in, in Moab, all of their dreams of, of survival have all gone the wrong way. Ruth knew about the one true God through Naomi and her family and through God opening her eyes. I submit to you that when Naomi made the strong step of faith to go back home, Ruth saw her faith in action. And she said, I believe you so much believe in this God that you're willing to take this dangerous journey and go back. I'm going with you because there must be something about this God. Verse 20, but she said to them, do not call me as she makes her way home. It's a small town. Hey, hey, you know what? That's, that's, that's Naomi. Man, Naomi, you've been gone for 10 years. Whoa, Naomi, whoa, you're back. They want to have a party. They want to celebrate. And she says to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. I went out full. Did she? And the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? You can meditate on those words and think about them. Maybe you've said something like that at one time. I have. Who could blame her, right? Everything she said was true. We could spend more time on that, but we're going to move on because I want to get through this. I'm already behind schedule. One of the strongest antidotes to bitterness. Hear me. Hear me. One of the strongest antidotes to bitterness is thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, in everything give thanks. doesn't mean you're happy and you're thankful for everything. It's be thankful in everything. No doubt she has lost much. She has lost her family. She has the stigma of one who bailed and left Bethlehem, which is the house of bread. Coincidentally, that's what that means, only to find more famine. Who wouldn't be changed forever? And now she's coming back with a Moabite. I wonder if anyone in the town said, yo, who was that? Where's she from? She's a Moabite, isn't she? What are you doing with her? I wonder if anyone said that. There's no, it doesn't say that in the scripture. How about Ruth? Okay, so you sure I'm going to be, I'll be okay here? I mean, that's a 50-mile journey. I'm sure they had a lot of conversation of what to say and how to respond when people call you names. <clears throat> we cannot control the circumstances of life, but we can control how we react to them. What could Naomi possibly be thankful for? I got a couple things. You might have more. She could be thankful she's living because her husband and her sons didn't make it. Who knows? Maybe she would rather not be living. But there's a reason that she made it. Because we, are, we worship a God of purpose. Naomi, you survived the famine for a reason. You don't know what it is yet. We do because we can fast forward and read the rest of the book. John Henry Newman said, Fear not that our life shall come to an end, but rather that it shall never have a beginning. She could be thankful for friends. She could be thankful that she survived this journey. She could be thankful for the treasure of this daughter-in-law named Ruth, the Moabitess. Ruth is a godsend. No, no, really. Like we use that term, what a godsend. Listen, bro. 
just because you got $500 off that car is not a godsend. Okay, maybe it is, maybe it is. <laughs> it's a godsend. No, Ruth is a godsend, right? But Naomi has no idea. Most of all, she has God Almighty. Most of all. John Wesley on his deathbed said, best of all, God is with us. Not only is God with us, you know this church, Romans 8, uh, 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 31, God is for us. Verse 22, saying, Naomi, Naomi returned with, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Did you get that? Did you get that? I hope you got that. I'm going to tell you what it is if you didn't get it. They came back and it's harvest time. Woo! What? Look at the fields. Woo! God, woo! We made the right choice. Moab might still be in famine, but God has visited his people. It's true. There's joy in the community. There's praise for the Lord and his bountiful provision. She left uh, she didn't leave full. She left empty, and she came back emptier. But she has come back to fullness now. Because you know what? Let me tell you what. God can flip the switch from emptiness to fullness in a nanosecond. And it could be faster than that, but I don't know a degree of time. That's in a, at the speed of heat, God could change the situation that you're in because God does that all the time. There's no guarantee that he will, but he can. So we are people who are filled with hope. Oh, there's joy in the community. There's praise for the, the Lord has brought rain back to Israel. It's springtime. It's a time of new life. It's a new beginning. Alexander White often told his congregation, victorious Christian life is a series of new beginnings. That's why his grace and mercy are new every day. In the time of need. Maybe that's a word you can cling to today in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a difficult uh, uh, chronos of time. <laughs> Maybe you're lacking rain in your life or in your spirit. You know what? Hang on to that word that God can change things. Hang on to the word that God is up to something, that, that, that your provision is far greater than you lack. And you know I'm not talking about prosperity. I'm saying that God's provision is ample and he promises to pro provide rain for his people. It is possible for God to accomplish amazing things both for now and eternity if we will turn towards him not only in our feelings, but also in our actions. Because Naomi, you know what? She's, she's grieving. She's grieving and she's mad at God. But guess what? God's going to bless her anyway. <laughs> oh, how, how dare you talk like that, Naomi? How dare you, you question the sovereignty? Hey, listen, if you haven't lost a spouse and two children, you don't have the authority to talk into her life and experienced famine, and lost everything you had, then you could talk to her. Up to that point, don't cast that stone, because your story ain't done yet either. Is that right? Is that okay to say? Yes. Oh, the grace of God. I want to leave you with this. Ah. A century ago, a, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half. Instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings into coffins. As they sailed out to port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved, everything they knew, and they knew they would never return home. A.W. Uh, Milne was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific, knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had martyred every missionary before him. Milne did not fear for his life because he had already died to himself. His, his coffin was packed. For 35 years he lived among the tribes and loved them. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. 
when he left, there was no darkness. When did we start believing that God wants to send us to, safe, to a safe place to do easy things? That faithfulness is holding the fort. That privilege, um, uh, that, that play, the playing it sa it's safe is, is safe. That there is a greater privilege than sacrifice. The radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding on to the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. The complete surrender of our life to the cause of Christ is not radical. It's normal. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life was to arrive safely at death. It's time to go all in and all out for the all in all. Pack your coffin. And Father, we give you all the praise and all the honor for this opportunity to share your word this morning. Lord, we are so excited to, to unpack this book together. And we're more, more so excited about how you will speak to us throughout this week. Because Lord, you are, you're, 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 a, a, you're a God who's, who's, who's distant to the nth degree and you're a God who's near to the brokenhearted, and you bind up their wounds all at the same time. And so, Father, that, that we would <clears throat> consume your word, that we would draw near to you, and, Lord, that when you speak, we would, we would hear what it is that you, are, that you want to say to us. And, Lord, where you go, we go. Where you stay, we stay, that your people will be our people, and that you are our God, and that when we die, our body may be buried, but our spirit goes on to be with you. Father, encourage us in these words and cause us to move in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.